And so what I often tell people when they're overwhelmed by these nutrition recommendations and just feeling like they're failing is let's stop, let's breathe. Let's think about what you're doing well and what you feel good about, and then let's go from there. And interestingly enough, sometimes that's nutrition related and sometimes it's not. And the reason that I actually mix life and nutrition is because when life is completely out of whack, how can you make space to prioritize nutrition? Of course they go together, but it's like, I really want people to step back and say, okay, where are the areas that I'm actually successful and where am I thriving? And what are the behaviors that I'm engaged in in those areas? And how can I replicate them into other areas of my life where things need modification? Welcome back. This is the Ancient Health Podcast. I'm Courtney, and I'm already so excited about our guest because she and I have been talking offline a little bit. And I said, you know, we need to just hit record because this is so good. And I'm thrilled that Maya Feller has joined us today. She's a registered dietitian. She's an expert in the field of nutrition. She's an incredible author. She has several books, one that's coming out we're going to talk about later today. So if you're not familiar with her or her work, you're going to want to tune in because I know there will be some incredible takeaways for you. Maya is changing the landscape of health for people in every area of their their journey, really. So it's people that are starting out and people that are dealing with complex disease and metabolic conditions. So if you have a nutrition question, if you have a chronic disease problem, this interview will serve you because we're going to address mind, body, spirit, all the different areas in ways that your health can be impacted by the choices you're making every day. So Maya, thank you for joining us on today's episode. I am so excited. I feel like we're already friends and this is amazing. First of all, you are so kind for joining us. And y'all, if you can't see her, she's just beautiful. She's glowing. You could just see it radiating from her <laughs> from her face. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I have to say, I absolutely love talking to you offline. I feel like we connected on such a human and heart-centered level. Um, and I'm thrilled to be here. And thank you for your time and making space to have this conversation. Yep, yep, absolutely. And I, you know, I want to just pick up right where we left off with our conversation a few minutes ago, because we were really starting, I think, to really dive into something that's so relevant for people. And as we're doing this interview, you know, it's the beginning of the year. And I I feel like for a lot of people, there can be this, this overwhelming sense of need to have things figured out and need to have order in their life. And I think that those can be great. But for a lot of people, like what we were just talking about, there's so many responsibilities and obligations that we have. And being able to fit nutrition into all the different places that that make sense and being able to financially make room for it and spend time to do it, a lot of times we're just not afforded that. And so it's, you know, we've got such an abundance of knowledge and resources, but then it's like, how do we get it to people? How does it make sense in everyday, everyday life? How does it make sense for the person that's working shift jobs and they're working around the clock? How is it working for the mom who is taking their kids to school and then working her job and then running her household? Like probably becomes overwhelming because you think, gosh, I, I don't have a choice. Like these are the responsibilities I have. And I know that it's coming at the expense of my health to some capacity. So what are your thoughts on that in just maybe providing encouragement or tips for that person that just thinks, okay, I feel like I'm getting the right information, but I don't even know how this could apply to my life. Yeah. I love that question. And you know, as you were speaking, I remember at the start of the pandemic, So I sit on this advisory council at NYU for dietetic interns, and we were interviewing people who wanted to become dietitians. And there are a number of questions that we always ask. One of them is the question that you asked, right? Like, how do we help people really to kind of take agency and also move forward and change, especially when we're thinking about food? And I remember one of the interns said, well, isn't nutrition at the top of everyone's priority list? And I said, exactly what you said. People have all of these responsibilities. There are so many plates that are spinning and we don't live in a society where we actually prioritize people and we prioritize health. Otherwise we wouldn't be in the condition that we are in the United States. I mean, we've got a healthcare crisis, right? We have this rising tide of chronic illnesses. It is unbelievable. It's deafening. We're being really tsunamied by all of it. And I said to this intern, I said, 
we have to remember that people are coming to us at different levels, A, of understanding, different levels of accessibility in terms of being able to actually get their hands on the food that we're talking about, being able to afford the food that we're talking about, being able to prepare the food that we're talking about. And when we come into these spaces and we say, I need you to engage in X, that's not patient-centered. That's not person-centered. It's not heart-centered. And so what I often tell people when they're overwhelmed by these nutrition recommendations and just feeling like they're failing is let's stop. Let's breathe. Let's think about what you're doing well and what you feel good about. And then let's go from there. And interestingly enough, sometimes that's nutrition related and sometimes it's not. And the reason that I actually mix life and nutrition is because when life is completely out of whack, how can you make space to prioritize nutrition? Of course, they go together, but it's like, I really want people to step back and say, okay, where are the areas that I'm actually successful and where am I thriving? And what are the behaviors that I'm engaged in in those areas? And how can I replicate them into other areas of my life where things need modification? If you've got jobs, if you've got children, if you've got a ton of responsibilities, like every single one of us do, what are the things that you can bring into your home that A, give you pleasure, nourish your body, help you meet your health goals, and are not stressful, right? Because if I tell you, I need you to go to the farmer's market and buy all this fresh produce and pro- you know, process it yourself and do this and do that, you might say, oh my goodness, Maya, that's not realistic for me, Right. But if I say, I want you to think about a vegetable or a fruit that you already like, one that's culturally relevant, and I want you to just bring that into the home and make it in a way that's pleasurable for you. That seems a lot more tangible, and it's more likely to show up on your plate. So I like to say to people, step back, slow down, give yourself some grace, because we're in the middle of a cosmic shift, you know what I mean, that's happening right now. We're not looking for perfection. What we're looking for is these small incremental changes that really support your desired health outcomes. That's great. What I hear you saying there too is that we need to address the person before we address the food. Yes. Because the food, the nutrition is great, but I think that's the first thing we reach for. I don't, and and I think that that's maybe culturally. We've just been conditioned to approach nutrition that way. It's like, well, if you have a weight loss goal or you have a certain diagnosis, it's just, okay, well, here's what you need to do for your food. And you're saying, hey, the food is great, but we need to come back to the person first. Because if we start just telling you and giving you the nutrition plan, how is that going to, how are we going to know that that's best aligned for you? Is that, is that right? That's exactly right. So it's so fascinating. I had a patient who I saw yesterday who's been having some significant variability in their blood pressure. And so they actually had their medication increased. Now, a lot of people might see that as a failure, but what I said to the patient is, listen, I understand you want to get off the medication, but we have to keep you alive so you can make that change, Mm -hmm. right? No guilt, no shame. The idea is to keep the person alive and then we can make modifications. So we start from a place of where are you? What's happening in your life? Take all of these things into consideration. We're coming off the holidays for many people, right? Holidays are totally different in terms of intentional movement, in terms of the quantity of alcohol that's consumed, in terms of the quantity of salt, added sugars, added fats. It's a totally different time than the rest of the year. So we have to take that into consideration, right? And not penalize people for actually enjoying themselves and having fun. The question is, How do we not go from this place of abundance into complete restriction? Because the thing is that we have to continue to nourish ourselves, but in a way that allows ourselves to upregulate healthfully, right? We want them to express and give information to each other in a positive way, as opposed to a dysfunctional way. So I take that into consideration. And I said to the patient, I said, listen, I understand where you are. And I said, what we're going to do is I'm going to provide you support and accountability And we'll go back to weekly check-ins, right? And we're going to just go step by step until you feel like you're in a place where you can just go off on your own. I always remind people, Courtney, that 
you know, you started eating solid food somewhere between four and six months because we live in the United States. So people are not breastfeeding until three years old, right? So you have whatever, like let's say you're 30, you've got 29 and a half years of a particular food-related interaction, a way that you've learned, a way that you've habitualized. We have to figure out, A, your culture, your heritage, your history, your relationship with food, how you feel about it currently, all of that before we begin to shift it. And so there's no way that I can walk into a space, and I often say this, that food is like religion. Imagine if I told every single person listening, today you are all going to eat kosher. And that's not their pattern of eating. They would say, what are you talking about? But we do it all the time in nutrition and wellness, right? We walk in with a sword and we slash, 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 and make these huge shifts that may or may not be A, right for the person, or something that they can actually follow. So really that idea, just like you said, step back, slow down, whole person approach, bi-directional relationship, person provider, right? What works for me may not work for you. What works for the aunt, cousin, you know, grandfather may not work for the person. We've got to individualize it. We really have to make sure that it is completely specific and something that, hey, the person wants to engage in. What are those questions that you're asking when you do check-ins with your patients and you're really starting to try and evaluate. You want them to have that journey of self-discovery, of coming back to themselves so they can really identify, okay, why is it that maybe I engage in these, these behaviors? Why is it that I always reach for these foods? Why is it that I have these patterns in my life? If somebody's listening and they, they've got a full plate, like they, they're like, I don't really have margin to bring anything else in my life. What is it that they can be asking themselves to maybe clarify the areas that are being, that are, are be, that are misses, you know, that are areas maybe, and then maybe it's not nutritional, maybe it's just something that is more emotional, but what is it that you're trying to pull out of those patients when you're doing the check-ins that really makes it click for them? Not just, Hey, I'm going to give you the protocol. I'm going to give you the plan and the roadmap. We talk a lot about rest and people are always like, why are you talking about rest? And I'm like, well, if you're not well rested, nothing else works. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so if we're able to rest, then also it gives our body actually time to engage in all of its metabolic processes. So it's good for your brain. It's good for your heart. I mean, sleep and rest, it is a biological need. When we are not rested, when we are in a place of fight or flight constantly on high, that's when we start to see the dysfunction. And you know that, right? You see that in your work. You see that in your patient comments, right? And also in your listeners telling you this is what they're experiencing. So I start with what does rest look like for you? How do you create space where you can really rest? You don't have to go to a spa. You don't have to get your nails done. You don't have to like go on some huge trip. But where is that rest and where is that breath? And how can we actually make it meaningful? It can be five minutes. It can be 10 minutes. You know what I mean? Let's think there. So that's one thing. So I want your listeners, you know what I mean? Everyone listening to say, how does rest show up? And then the next thing is how does restore restoration, right? What are those restorative practices? Because you have rest, but then you also have restorative practices. And restorative practices can be laughter. It can be family time. It can be friend time. It can be boys' night out, girls' night out. You know what I mean? It can be all of those things. Like what's literally filling that proverbial cup? Now that you've rested, what's filling you up and giving you that great feeling? Because the thing is that I always say, before we even get to eating, if you're in a sour mood, I don't think your food is going to taste good. You know, I don't think that you're going to want to sit down to you know, a heaping plate of greens and beans and be like, oh, this is delicious. You're just going to be like, I'm not happy in general. Actually, it doesn't matter what's on your plate. And so I want to make sure that there's also rest, but there's some restorative rejuvenation and some joy in there. And I think that those two things are really important. I remember when I was studying to become a dietitian and in, I had, it had to be protein, fats, and carbs, one of my metabolism classes. The professor said, you know, 
when you're sleep deprived, your desires for certain types of food actually shift because your brain is exhausted. And I'm always really careful when I have these discussions because I don't want to shame people. And I also know that the majority of us are sleep deprived. And so when we're talking about making consistent choices, and I like to be specific with that, what I'm saying is, what is at the center of your pattern of eating? What are you engaging in the majority of the time? I'm not saying the, you know, outliers, but I'm saying, what does that center look like? And if we're really talking about expressing your best metabolic health, reducing your risk for developing diabetes, hypertension, cardiovascular disease, also managing any of those diagnoses, we're talking about a pattern of eating that is full of fiber, full of vitamins, full of minerals, and really centered around food in its whole and minimally processed form the majority of the time. That's, kind, that's what we need, right? When we're talking in relationship to those conditions. And so if we're feeling overwhelmed, that's why I start with rest. And then I say, well, what's bringing you joy? Because then we're more likely to be able to engage with the foods that can support us, right? And that help ourselves to really say like, okay, you've got extra glucose in those bloodstream. Let me do the work of, you know, bringing it into the cells to be used as energy. And when we're eating in these patterns that are really supportive of those types of metabolic processes, it actually makes it better, easier for us to sleep and easier for us to engage in joyful activity. That's so good. I, I really appreciate that perspective of starting with rest for the body because there are no amounts of food. There, there's nothing like therapies that can just override an underrested body. Like you really hit the nail on the head with the metabolic ability and effort of the body. It cannot work. It just can't go anywhere when you when you're underrested. Uh, so that has to be a priority. And it's not just sleep. Like we say rest. And a lot of times we just think like, oh, we just got to be, you know, completely unconscious and, and asleep. But it's uh, it's carving out space in your day for you not to be so sympathetic dominant, for you to be in this rest and digest space where you can, even when you're eating meals, like you said, you can actually feel full. You can take breaths in between bites. You can actually enjoy the meal. Whereas, you know, otherwise you might be in the car just slugging down food. And listen, I've done that before too. I've been in the carpool line eating, you know, my, my lunch or whatever. So it happens. But I think prioritizing rest and rested spaces throughout your day is, is so important and critical for not only preventing disease, but ultimately reversing and healing chronic disease. And we talk about these metabolic conditions. And I, I kind of want to stick stay here for a second because there are so many people, I mean, the statistics are wild right now with all types of chronic disease and conditions, but these specific ones that are metabolic, right? They are, they are a direct reflection of our lifestyle choices and habits. So where, where do you start with somebody when it comes to their nutrition? If we're looking at diabetes or we're looking at hypertension, we're looking at things that um, they're actively working with. Are there absolutes, things that are off, off the table for you that you would say, absolutely not, or absolutely, yes, this is where you need to start. Because I guess until you kind of get over that threshold of healing, where it's like, okay, maybe my body can tolerate a little bit more. So most people are very sensitive when they're inflamed and they're, they're dealing with a lot of these conditions. So where would somebody begin if they're in that journey of trying to heal, but they feel like they're reactive, they feel like they don't tolerate a lot of foods? So the first thing that I always say, especially with these non-communicable conditions is we as providers and people in the general public who do not have these conditions have to understand that they are lifestyle conditions, but also environmental. So if you're living in an area where you have no access to food other than heavily processed foods, and I want to be clear, like I'm super careful with this language, right? because all food is processed, so I understand. But I'm talking about foods that have an extra amount, an abundance of added sugars, salts, and fats. And if that is what is predominantly available to a person, metabolic dysfunction is almost 100% a given. If someone is in an area where they do not have access to high-quality healthcare, they do not have access to safe places to intentionally move their body, 
They cannot go to a playground. There's not, you know, a affordable, you know, gym for them or a space for them to really move around or even walk or green spaces. Metabolic dysfunction is almost 100% a given. So we always have to work from there. I think about patients of mine who live in areas where there are no sidewalks. One of the things that we say all the time in gestational diabetes, for example, is after you have dinner, go for a 10-minute walk. Sometimes you can walk around your dining room table, but it's really nice, right, to go outside and take a 10-minute walk. But if that's not possible, how can you find space and time for that movement because your environment doesn't allow it? So I always like to bring that to the forefront when we're having these conversations because some of us are going to be able to engage in these changes much easier because we have the privilege of being in different spaces. And for some of us, it's going to be really, really challenging. And we can't blame and we can't shame. What we can do is we can say, okay, it's going to look different. And what we're still going to say is always small, simple changes, right? One step at a time. If we're thinking about someone who's in a reactive space and they do have access, right? The first thing that I say is this is where you have to do some of that internal listening. And I recognize that internal listening takes space and time. I get it. I know, right? Because it's like, we're asking you to, hey, step back and say, what's happening, right? I've just had X food. Me, let's take myself, for example. And I rarely do this, but I'm going to. Um, I'm salt sensitive right? I know that I'm salt sensitive. I love salt. Like I'm not a sweet eater. Like I love spicy, salty, fiery food. If I have too much salt, I can tell you in 15 minutes, I definitely feel it in my back. It feels like a reverberation, right? I also say, if I know that I'm going into a place where the food is naturally going to be saltier than what I eat regularly, I actually try to offset it by making sure that I have more fruits and vegetables because I know the potassium and the antioxidants are going to support my vascular system before going into that salty situation. And I also try to make sure that I've engaged in some type of movement because I know that, you know, just the activity of moving also really helps my cardiometabolic health. So I'm not saying like I'm going to the gym and like, you know, with like weights, like really crazy <laughs> for hours. What I'm saying is, I try to go for a longer walk or run if I know that I'm going to be eating out. Of course, I'm a dietitian. Of course, I've got access to all of that information. But these are shifts that I engage in in advance of entering into a kind of a space where I know that my body will react. And that is from years of listening. So when I, my blood pressure was elevated and you know I was in that reactive space, I tried to listen and see what are the foods and the behaviors, right, that keep it high as opposed to help it to go down. And so I should also clarify that my blood pressure was high because um, uh, when I delivered my daughter, it was high from gestational hypertension. So it wasn't, um, it wasn't like, you know, chronic hypertension, but I have to work for my blood pressure, right? And I have to work and it's, you know, I have to do that internal listening so that I can keep it level. Now, I don't rarely, I don't actually ever tell my patients my story. Uh, now I've told all your listeners my story, but <laughs> um, I don't ever tell my patients because it's not do as I, I do, right? It's about listening to you. But I use myself as an example because, I mean, I can't give patients, you know, I can use myself as an example. So I think it's important if you're reactive to say, what does your body actually react to when you're doing that internal listening? And also, let's say, you know, with hypertension, for example, we know that rest, right, sleep and rest also really help to keep blood pressure lower. Now, if we're thinking about diabetes, I always say carbohydrate literacy is really important. You'll notice that I didn't say that there's any food that's off the table, because if I give you a blanket list of foods that you can't eat, right, that might not be true. I learned this when I was running food and nutrition program workshops with you know, 50 people sitting in a circle. One person who um, had diabetes would say, I eat an ear of corn and my sugar goes through the roof. And another person was like, I don't have that reaction. I remember one fellow saying, having a handful of peanuts made his blood pressure go up. And we were all like, what? But it's heart healthy fat and protein. But for that individual, 
peanuts created this reaction. So that's one reason why I've stopped saying that there are foods that are completely off the table. What I say is we have to individualize and figure out the dose that your body can respond to. And with things like blood pressure and diabetes, you have to engage in the patient self-monitoring. If you are unaware of what your numbers are, you can't do that work, right? So you have to check your blood pressure and you should be checking your blood sugars if these are diagnoses that you have or if you're on the border of developing those diagnoses. And same thing with high cholesterol. You've got to go in and you've got to have your lipids checked. You need to see your C-reactive protein. You need to know your calcium scores. Like you've got to do that work. We can't walk around thinking like we're magically going to fix it and not know what our own benchmarks are. That's the other part of it. Listen, that's hard. I recognize that what I'm asking for is work, but guess what? I always say to people, you put tons of work into your job. You put tons of work into your family. None of it is possible if you're not well. You have to put that work into you. And you made the point about it being just small things every day. So it's not like you need to quit your full-time job. Like that's, that's unrealistic, but it is going to require you to show up a little bit every single day. And a little bit starts, starts to build and, yes. and you have this compounding effect, which then leads to a better outcome down the road. And we're looking, we're looking long-term everyone like this. Like, that's like longevity is is, is the ultimate goal, right? It's preserving our bodies and health so that we can experience life to the fullest and not just, you know, kick the can and, and run full speed and then realize that, you know, at the age of 50, now we have all of these conditions that, that, that didn't just happen overnight. I mean, that's a thing. Like, I think I remember hearing you say something about how, um, disease, chronic disease oftentimes can begin. Like we're, we're seeing children now, you know, at the 10, 11, 12 year old age that are, developing these diseases and these, they have these conditions, these diagnoses. And I remember you say something like it, it can take a decade. It can take 10 years. So it could have, this could have started realistically, like at birth or shortly after like early infant years and been something that's just been manifesting for years and years. And now we're, you know, we're so surprised to see a young 10 year old, 11 year old, but it didn't just show up. What, what are your thoughts on that with, with children right now? So I'll say two things, Courtney. I love that you brought up this incubation period for chronic conditions. I'm going to use myself again. And I say this often for people who are pregnant. If there's metabolic dysfunction in pregnancy, that increases the risk of whatever that diagnosis was, right? So if you see high blood pressure, you see gestational diabetes, we have to counsel people to be really mindful of blood pressure and blood sugars upon delivery. I didn't clarify that when I was giving my story before. So that's that same kind of incubation period. We're not 100% sure why it happens or what's going on, but we do know that upon delivery, we counsel those people to be really mindful. So when I say I have to work for my blood pressure, I don't have high blood pressure, but because I had gestational hypertension, I have to work and be super mindful to keep my blood pressure within healthy limits. It's the same thing for all patients. Now back to the pediatric population. When we're seeing these, you know, higher rates of type 2 diabetes in 10, 11, 12-year-olds, when we're seeing high cholesterol in 10, 11, 12-year-olds, if we see high blood pressure, that's like very, very, very extraordinary. But it's more likely the, you know, elevated blood sugars and the elevated blood pressure. That is really about whatever's happening in terms of movement, nutrition, environment, genetics, and also culture within the home. And when I say culture, it's the social norms that everybody ascribes to in that home. Maybe it's, you know, living in an, a neighborhood where there's you know, not safe spaces to move. Maybe it's more TV watching than we want. Maybe it's more sedentary behavior. Maybe it is the types of foods that are being consumed because of limited access, but it might also just be, you know, types of foods being consumed in general. What we're seeing more and more and I see this even in families that I work with, is these plant-forward patterns of eating that are rich in polyphenols, phytonutrients, antioxidants are not the mainstay. We tend to see higher intakes of refined carbohydrates, added sugars, salts, and fats, because those taste great, right? Easy to prepare, more readily accessible. However, if that's what we're engaging with, 
from age two on, that incubation period means that we're starting to see this metabolic dysfunction show up around 12, right? We used to see type two diabetes used to be called adult onset diabetes. There's a reason that this has changed. And this is when I say that, you know, our country's in this healthcare crisis and that we're not well, it's a whole systemic pot, right? It's a soup that we've got to like, you know, I don't know, strain out and undo and, you know, and really restructure and fix. But that's kind of what, what I'm thinking about in my practice when I'm working with families. And again, I have to be really careful and say, there's no shame, right? I'm not shaming anybody. But, but the statistics are telling us that this is more often and becoming more common. What do you, what, what's your suggestion when it comes to raising families and you've got multiple people with, they're all dealing with something different and you're trying to maybe provide meals. You're trying to provide a home with a, a good culture, but you've got, you know, maybe a child that's struggling with ADHD. And then you've got a spouse that maybe has, um, you know, autoimmune activity going on. And, and so there's so many different things you're trying to be accountable for as, as a parent, maybe in a household or just as a caregiver, you know, even if you're not a parent, but you're caring for somebody. How do you navigate that? Well, the first thing I say is, you know, I see you, <laughs> like I honor you because um, that's a lot, right? Um, it's interesting in my forthcoming cookbook, I talk a lot about kind of the culture of wellness. And there's some controversy here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be, you know what I mean, clear, right? We often have this idea that we need to healthify everything. We do need to be healthy. I want to be super clear, right? I'm not saying to throw it all out the window. What I am saying is that when we have multiple levels of challenges going on, if we have perfection as what we're aiming for, we will always fall short and feel really shameful and guilty because perfection doesn't exist, right? It like, it just doesn't. What we want to do rather, and I've learned this from my patients, is start from what does your culture, heritage, and food weight look like, right? We have people from all over the globe living in this country. And what I found is like many traditional patterns of eating, actually are really based in incredibly nutrient-rich foods. So if we look through, you know, the Caribbean, if we look through Latin America, if we look through the African continent, if we, you know, travel and we go up north into Alaska, we go down south into Mexico, you know, in South America, we can travel all over Europe. Uh, we can go into the Middle East. What we actually see are foods that are actually totally separate from the quote unquote standard American diet, right? The standard American diet is something that has been formulated in the US, you know what I mean, in the last five decades. Like that's not the standard around the world. And so when I see people who are trying to solve for multiple conditions in their home and they're trying to create foods, and I say that it's a radical act to go against the grain because if you go to any store, you can get a frozen pizza faster than you can actually find you know, a bag of frozen greens. And we also gravitate toward the frozen pizza the majority of the time. Like, I want to be careful with my language here, right? So what I'm talking about is the majority of the time. I'm not saying having that frozen pizza once in a while is problematic. What I'm saying is when that's the center of what we're eating and we're trying to solve for conditions, it's not supportive of the desired health outcome. And so what I like to remind folks is if you're trying to solve for all of that, A, you need chef's helpers in your home. You need frozen goods. You need pox goods. There's no way right? That you're, I mean, you can, if it's your sole job and you don't have anything else to do, process every single food from scratch, but we do need to lean into things that make it easier for that plate to have those high antioxidant intake, to have the whole and ancient grains on there. We need support, right? 
So perhaps it's parboiled brown rice or black rice, which is pretty quick cooking, or things like fonio, you know, complete amino acid profile, really delicious. Now people are probably like, I don't know that my whole family is going to want to eat that. Of course, it takes time. Because if we're really working from coming from added sugar, salts, and fats, the palate, the mouthfeel will always be different if you sit down to a plate of black rice. The question is, how do you make it delicious? Maybe we're using a broth, you know, a bone broth to flavor that water so that when we're cooking the rice, it's a little bit more, you know, something that's palatable. But you definitely need chef's helpers. And start with one meal a week or start with one day per week. We're not asking for all seven days to magically change. What we're saying is start with one meal. Also bring the family in, right? Or bring the roommates in or bring the friends in. People who prepare food together also enjoy eating food together. So if you're trying to solve for, you know, autoimmune and someone who has, you know, another metabolic condition, let's think about what are the things that we all like that can show up? And is there a way to not have you be a short order cook? but where you're having a main staple and maybe one or two sides and that's it. And I'm really strict on that. We've brought this restaurant mentality into the home where people are like, this one wants this and this one wants that and this one wants this. And then you've got whoever that main preparer is up there making six different meals, not sustainable, not helpful, Let's think about what are, what's that staple that everybody can have. And perhaps you have to modify the side. Someone's gluten-free, right? Then you give a gluten-free side option and then you could have, you know, so, but that's kind of what I generally think about is how do you simplify? How do you step back? How do you make sure that it's still nutritious, right? And nourishing and tasty. Like that's the big thing that I talk about is flavor, right? We're trying to cut the salt. Okay, let's increase the acid. Maybe you add a little bit more heat. You know, we're going to use fresh herbs and spices, maybe some dried herbs. We're thinking about, you know, blood sugars. Okay, well, what are the things like the cinnamon, you know, the nutmeg that are the turmeric, the black pepper? How do we bring those in? You're thinking about cholesterol. How do we boost the antioxidants? Where are those showing up? All those herbs, like there is plenty of plant medicine on the plate. And I'm not saying that it's going to replace your you know, Western medicine in its entirety, but I'm saying there's plenty of plant medicine that you can use on your plate when you're thinking about solving for all those conditions in your home. And I think that what you're describing too is cultivating an experience, you know, not just showing up for the meal, but showing up for the experience of the meal, you know, the community, the spending time, being in that rest and digest, that parasympathetic, There's no greater way to enjoy a meal than when you're not rushed and you can actually sit down and remember it because how many meals do I'm like, I don't know know what I ate yesterday or the day before because we're on our phones or we're eating standing up while we're making something separate for the kids. And so it's there, there's no memory. There's nothing that's meaningful about the experience. It's a matter of just let's get everyone fed so we can move on. And that's so true. What you're saying, Courtney, I can't tell you how many people I talk to, whether it's a roommate situation, a family situation, turn off the TV, put the telephones away, sit at the table. I had a patient that I was working with for half a year. And I don't even know why I ne- never crossed my mind to ask them where they ate their meals. Turns out they'd been eating in their bed. It never crossed my mind just because of the conversation that we had back and forth. And it didn't, none of it sounded like the food was being consumed in the bed, but that was my fault as a provider, right? And so it's like, find your way to the dinner table, right? If it's a counter, find your way to the counter. If you're living with roommates, try to have a communal meal. All of that makes such a big difference, just as you said, right? Instead of over your telephone with the TV on, you know what I mean? The majority of the time we're talking about right? Making these shifts so that you can actually engage with food. And I would challenge anyone that's listening to, if you think you're reactive to something, try this, try, try having whatever food that is in a different setting. Because when your nervous system is not firing, you will be surprised at how less reactive you become to certain foods because your body is now in a position to digest food. But when you are running around 
your body's diverting energy away from digestion, which means that whatever you consume, you're not going to digest very well. And you'll probably feel bloating. You're not going to have enough stomach acid to break down all of the nutrients and and you have all this fermentation and, and then you feel uncomfortable. But I would challenge you, especially if you find that your digestion weakens over the course of a day, like you can eat okay in, in the morning, but then maybe lunch and dinner, like don't settle all that well. Try slowing down. Just sit down with your meal, turn off the screens. Even if you're alone by yourself, just have a minute, open a window, get some fresh air. Just take a moment to have that meal without doing other things alongside. Don't unload your dishwasher and take a bite and then run back over and send a text and then run back over and take another bite. I'm totally guilty. I'm literally like describing what my life looks like sometimes. So don't feel any judgment in this because I've been there, but I do know that I have felt that, that I can actually tolerate things that I thought, oh, I cannot have that. That is going to wreck my stomach. And then all of a sudden I sat down and had the meal. I'm like, oh, it didn't bother me. And I thought, you know what? It wasn't the food. It was my nervous system. It was my brain. It was everything else running around that told my digestive system, hey, we're not here to digest food. <laughs> we're here to keep you alive. We need to pump you know, blood to your heart and your brain and everything else because we're not in a position to be able to digest your food right now. I love that you said that because that is so like, that's so much of what we talk about in session with patients is what does it look like when you're at work, at home, in your free time? Like, what does it, what does the big picture look like? And so much of the time, it's literally like we wake up in the morning and we've got running shoes at the side of the bed and you jump out of the bed and you're into that. And it's 110 miles per hour. And so I love that you said, actually, let's replace the running shoes with slippers and slow it down. Yeah, totally. I, I, that, that should be a, we could make that kind of a 2023 challenge, you know, it's, and it's not about getting, I, I get it. Like I'll have a smoothie in the car, whatever, but I'm telling you, if you can get one meal or just do it one, I mean, if you can only do one meal a week with your family, because everybody's got, you know, a million places that they're going, that's great. Just commit to that one meal. Our kids do not expect that we're going to be sitting down at the dinner table because we have kids that practice sports late and, but two nights a week, they know that they're going to be able to sit down and they know that we're all going to be there. And we linger. We don't rush it. If it goes a little bit later and the homework we don't get to, and then we end up having to rush the next morning, it's fine. But we've at least protected that window twice a week. And I, and I feel good about that. Could it be better? Probably. But at this point, I don't want to create added stress to myself and then feel like I'm disappointing my family. Say that one more time, because I think that that's it. Twice a week, your kids know that there is a leisurely meal, right? And it's all about them and the family. Nothing else matters. And you're not trying to create added stress. I mean, that's the thing, right? So you created this kind of formulation with your family, and this is what you're doing. And that is good. It's almost like, I remember someone said to me, do you know good is good enough? And I was like, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Like, why are we always looking for good is better or better is better? No, good is good enough. Those two meals where there's nothing else going on and you guys linger and you eat and you enjoy each other, perfect, beautiful. Not, you know, yeah, perfect. <laughs> yeah, that's so good. Good is good enough. I'll, I will, that, those will be words I remember because it is so true. And I think, especially being in the place, in the space of natural health, and knowing the power of food as medicine and having knowing all of these resources and technologies and things that we can do to augment our our health there can also come that that level of anxiety like okay I should be doing this and I should be doing that and I feel like you know okay well I want my kids to sit down and want them to have super nutritious meals for everything and you know just try to control every aspect and facet of life but at the end of the day it's creating this massive burden of stress where I feel like I'm constantly missing the mark I'm constantly failing and like, what is that doing? What kind of, what type of conditioning and, and mental positioning am I giving to things that should be enjoyable? It's like, now I'm setting an example for the kids that like, mom's watching it. They're not enjoying this meal and we're all not sitting down. Like <laughs> I'm going to be upset with everybody. And like, that's not, that's not the culture I'm trying to cultivate in the home. Like I want for it to be, Hey, if we had two meals together. That's awesome. Like those experiences for those meals are going to be great. I'd rather just know that we can do it two times out of seven than try and hit it five times. But most of the time, mom's miserable 
and she's screaming at everybody to eat the food. And then she's mad about the messes. That's it. That's it. Right. And this is that's So when I'm talking about being gentle, when I'm talking about person-centered, when I'm talking about anti-bias, I'm talking about how do we remove the stigma and the hierarchy from the act of eating while allowing individuals to honor their likes, dislikes, their heritage, and just show up at the plate from a neutral place and just be who they are. Like if I could wave my magic wand, I would, that's what I would want for like nutrition, wellness, a whole reframe on how we're coming to the table and how we're quantifying what a healthy eating experience is. Ooh, that's powerful. I love that. That's so, that's for every single person, no matter where you are in your journey of life, like that is for you. And maybe it's just you right now. Maybe in the future, it'll be a spouse or children, but that's something that you can value for yourself. And that if you value for the other people you do life with, you have no idea the impact that that's going to have generationally because you're instilling things in them that they'll carry with them. It's, it's all mindset, but it's, how they're going to view their relationship with their body, how they're going to view their relationship with their food. And I feel like those are the things that we don't even put enough emphasis on because we have such a performance-based society where it's show up and do more. And it's like, no, maybe we need to slow down and we need to start doing some inner work and we need to connect with ourselves and connect with our plate and the people that we're around. I think that your mission is so on point. I'm so excited for you to just like, I mean, you've been carrying that forth, you know, just the blazing torch forward with that message. But I know that it, if people can really receive it, like receive it for yourself, like own that, know that there's value in simplifying some things and really coming back to what it is that your body is feeling. Like she said in the very beginning of this interview and, and knowing where your starting place is, because there, I, I, I love that, you know, you, you love this food as medicine approach as well. And it's not about a yes and no. You know, and it's not about saying, here's your grocery list. Like, this is what you need to have. It's about finding what foods are going to nourish you, nourish your soul, nourish your body. You know, what are you going to get excited about and what's going to make you feel your best long-term? So I, I want to point out your book in the back because I'm so excited to get my hands on this. And I know it comes out later this month. So maybe by the time we were, were uh, releasing this, um, the book will officially be available, Eating From Your Roots. Can you tell us about where the inspiration of this book came from and what we can expect? Yeah. So, I mean, this is my advanced copy that I'm holding in my hand and I can look through it and I see all of these delicious foods. I'm going to maybe, I'll show you one. There's some gorgeous um, pictures in here. I mean, the photos are incredible, but the photos are of food. And, you know, I spend a lot of time thinking about like, yeah, what does delicious food look like? Oh, okay. We're looking at grilled artichoke. <laughs> is that, what yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, that looks yeah. unbelievable. I love cookbooks that have pictures. Although if I did a side-by-side, -side, it would be like the definition of a Pinterest fail because mine never quite, you know, but it's fine. They taste great. So that's all that matters. It's like nailed it, but for the home. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Totally. oh my gosh. Okay. When I was thinking about, okay, well, what do I want to put into a cookbook? It, I really started from this idea of how do I want people to think about food? And just as you said, I mean, like what you said about that, you know, forcing the family to sit every single night and then it's a hot mess really resonated with me because in nutrition, this is what we've been trained to do to people or to tell them is you must engage in this particular way of eating. And if you haven't, you've failed. I mean, we have a healthy eating index. Yes, it gives us wonderful information. But really what it's telling people is like, you guys are failing. You're not eating the right amount of fruits. You're not eating the right amount of vegetables. And then when you go into all these databases, there's like a limited amount of fruits and vegetables that you can actually search. As my son says, search up, you know, you can actually search and you see that it's really centered around kind of, I'd say Anglo-American food ways. It's not totally inclusive of the whole globe. And I know from working with a diverse population, and you know from living where you live, that there's a 
whole bunch of food that's absolutely nutritious, that's not a piece of lettuce or brown rice and a piece of grilled protein. Yes, those things are totally valid, but that doesn't have to be the center of the plate all the time. And so with this book, what I really wanted people to do is feel like, oh, wow, look at that, you know, gorgeous photo of whatever this piece of produce is that's honoring of my heritage and culture, not me, Maya, but whoever the individual is. They're going to be recipes that are familiar. They're going to be new recipes. They're going to be new flavors and spices. But that's my idea. If we're really talking about using food as medicine and modifying your plate so that it can actually support your desired health outcomes, well, we've got to expand what we're going to eat. And we've got to add a lot more herbs, a lot more spices, a variety of vegetables, and all sorts of different fruits. I say to people, what was the last time you used chayote, right? Did you know that you can chop it up and put it into a soup? It's a wonderful source of resistant starch. What about Jerusalem artichokes, right? They're all of these things that are outside of just a regular potato. Potatoes are great, but imagine if we started to expand our root vegetables to include other things and different flavors from different cultures. And so my idea with this book is to remove the hierarchy around food, no more forcing you to sit at the dinner table for brown rice, lettuce, and grilled chicken, right? Let's find foods that resonate with you. And also let's really think about expanding our definition of what healthy is. But my entire family right now, they would be like, oh, mom, you need this. <laughs> because I'm pretty sure last night we had like <laughs> rice. And chicken. I Let me tell you, it's, I feel like I used to be a lot more uh, adventurous and then life got so busy. And all of a sudden I have fallen into a rut. And I realized this about a month ago because I'm pretty sure the kids said, I feel like we've eaten this. <laughs> and I was like, you know, we... We kind of have been on a, a, a rotation of about the same three meals for three months straight. So I'm really inspired by this. It's great that when you do have access to it, like, I, why am I not incorporating this? So I love that you're bringing some different things that are available. I mean, we live in an abundant society of abundance. I mean, for the most part, like we have so much more, but we don't really know what we're doing with most of it. Um, because we fall back to the same familiar things. Um, so this is, I'm so excited to get my hands on this. What's your favorite, what's one of your favorite recipes in the book? Oh, that's such a hard question. So I asked the same question to a chef friend of mine and she said, Maya, what if I asked you who your favorite child was? And I was like, oh. <laughs> unfair question. So here's, so what I can say is, I was born in the Northeast and I'm of Afro-Caribbean descent. And so all of that is water-based, right? Like Massachusetts, lots of water, Caribbean, lots of water. So I'm a huge seafood and vegetable lover. And I do think the recipes in the book that I gravitate toward the most are the vegetables and the seafood recipes. Yeah, so I think that those are my favorite. I also, because I'm salt sensitive, it's so amazing when the whole photography team and the chef was working on for the for the book, for the pictures, the team actually said, wow, the food is so flavorful. And the food stylist said, I've never used this small quantity of salt. Usually by now I've gone through like boxes of salt. And she was like, and it's amazing. Everything tastes so good. And I was like, I felt like I was winning. <laughs> <laughs> that is impressive. I even more want to try because I actually travel around with my own personal salt shaker in my purse <laughs> because <laughs> I, if we eat out, I don't, I just don't do like table salt. So I'll bring like Celtic sea salt or Himalayan pink sea salt, but I do, I have one in my car and I have one in my purse. And so I take salt. So now I'm going to try your recipes because I always feel like I'm salting everything. Oh man, this is so cool. Well, I, we, we connected earlier about, I was like, you've got to come down to Charleston and we're going to have to eat some seafood and some good low country food together. Yeah. Um, I would love that. But 
This is incredible. And I love that you're equipping people with things that, like you said, just every day can start to change the direction of their life and their health. And, and it's one step at a time. Like we're all doing it. Like I'm doing the work, you're doing the work, all of our listeners are doing it. But just know that it's one small thing at a time and it all starts to add up. And, and at the end of the day, you know, it amounts to how you're experiencing your own body. Like, how is it that you're experiencing life in your body? Because for most of us, that can be the last thing on the list that we're putting any effort and intention into. And then we're, you know, we wake up depressed and we wake up and feel like, what's our purpose? And it's so many little things and it all, it all fits together in this one big puzzle piece that looks like our life. And so until you can really start to put awareness, bring awareness to all those pieces, you know, it's not just nutrition, nutrition is such an important piece. And it's a piece that we don't even train people to think about in the right way. Um, So I love that you're doing that work to educate people. You're investing in people that that's, Working with people too in the past, I mean, walking alongside them, kind of linking arms and hand in hand, like that is to me such an act of service. And I love that you are still doing that. Like you're writing books, you're raising a family, you're investing in your patients. Like so, it's so many things. She sits on advisory boards, y'all. She she does it all. She's amazing, and she looks so just like radiant. I just love the energy she brings here. So, Maya, I would love. Can you share with us? Any last little thoughts or tips or anything before we we can let everybody know where to find you, but anything that you really want to share with our audience, whether it's about yourself or your book or, or anything that is just passionate on your heart right now? Absolutely. So I'm going to jump off of what you said, and I want people to know that they are the experts in their own lived experience. And if they're experiencing metabolic dysfunction or they receive news that they have a new diagnosis, there's space, there's time for them to advocate for themselves. And because they know themselves the best, find a team that can support you and get you to where you want and need to be. That's so good. Yeah. And I mean, put you are valuable. If you're not getting the care, you're not getting the answers where you're at and with the people that you're around, look elsewhere. Like there are people that care and that will find value in whatever it is that you're experiencing because it's not just in your head. It's That's not right. normal. That's right. And, and you've got to know that there, there there are people and there are there are communities of people because it, it takes more than one. I mean, that's the thing. I, I think finding their finding your people, and that's what we hope that this podcast is really just an extension of what our mission is. And it's to come alongside of people where they're at and to give them tools in their toolbox and say, hey, this is this is something that may be for you. And if it's not, that's okay too. You don't need to pick up everything that we have. Like it's, but we're here to help build out this community that stands behind optimal wellness. And we look at that from mind, body, and spirit always. So I love that we're so aligned in that mission. And you're so right. Like own your health. Like you are the expert of your body. You live in your own shoes. Nobody else can know or experience life the way you do because you're the one experiencing and feeling it every day. So, um, okay. Well, Maya, where can people connect with you and find your book and all of your resources? Because you're, you're every, you're kind of all over. I've seen all the little places that you pop up, but Gosh, I just, I love the work you're doing. And I know that people will want to follow along your journey. Well, thanks so much. Um, so you can find me across social at Maya Feller RD on Instagram and Maya Feller Nutrition on Facebook. Um, I've got this really interesting, like kind of older middle-aged group of followers on Facebook who I love that are like completely into like questions and they, you know, DM me. I, like, I love them. Um, so I am on Facebook um, and Instagram. You can also go to my website, mayafellernutrition.com. And to purchase my book, you can go to Penguin Random House or actually anywhere and everywhere that books are sold. My book, Eating From Our Roots, is available. And it's available now for pre-order and on sale as of the 24th of January, 2023. Oh, what a huge celebration. I mean, I'm celebrating you. I've never written a book, published a book, but I know of people that do. I see the effort that goes into it. And I'm just, 
I applaud you for putting forth so much into it because I know it's like birthing a, a baby. So, um, and guys, I can see it in our interview in the background and I'm so excited to get my hands on it because I definitely need to spice up, freshen up my, my culinary skills in the kitchen, but, um, I love everything that you're bringing and I'm excited to see your, your work in this new cookbook. So Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Guys, if you love this interview, please share it with your your friends. If you make any of these recipes, tag Maya, tag the Health Institute. Like we want to see what you're doing, what you're cooking up. And also we want to celebrate the wins with you. If you even make one meal, like, yeah, take a picture of that. Be proud of it. It's awesome. That's an achievement. Like you're doing great. You're doing better than you think you are. So we love that you joined us for today's episode. Can't wait to see you on the next one. Thank you again, Maya. We love having you as a part of our family here at the Health Institute. And we are behind you in everything that you put your hand to this year. Thank you so much for having me. It has been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. And thank you to your listeners and your audience. And I cannot wait to see what you cook up. Thanks so much, Maya. Thanks, guys.